This is a podcast about time. The time it takes to become an artisan. Heritage. Saving to buy something you'll keep forever. Sustainability. Memories attached to clothing that you've loved and lived in. And the longevity of friendship. To us, the true definition of luxury. I'm Lynn Coleman. Join me and my friend and colleague, Jill Brown, as we chat about the components about what makes Scottish cashmere so special, why it's loved by people all around the globe, and why every design house has a Scottish mill in their little black book. DC Dalgleish, Weaving Credentials, Google, Pixar, Vivian Westwood, the Dalai Lama, and Her Royal Highness, Elizabeth II. The world's largest tartan library sits inside an unassuming mill tucked away in Selkirk shrubbery. DC Dalgleish have been tartan specialists since the 1940s, excelling in handcrafted, single-loom artisanal heaven. They have woven more varieties of tartan than anyone else on the planet, and delving into their swatch archive is how I imagine a groupie must feel being bedded by their most beloved rock star. Dixon Colton Dalgleish, first came to public prominence as a leading expert on tartan. It was this that spurred Dick into weaving for himself after running into difficulty sourcing high quality tartan fabrics that he knew were possible to create. A handful of single width looms powered entirely by pedal moved into the first incarnation of the mill. Together with his wife, Anne, Dalgleish ran the family business and it blazed a trail as it grew. While Dick managed the mill back in Selkirk, Anne was consumer focused, setting off several times a year for six weeks at a time to sell, which is pretty unusual for a woman in the 60s. She found Dick's superior fabrics an easy product to punt and in time became a prominent businesswoman in Scotland. And this is where the story becomes personal. So we are sitting here in your gorgeous living room in Edinburgh, surrounded by tartan. So how did we get from fashion writer and stylist and author to sitting with what is essentially a, well it is as a library of tartan yeah that happened in it's a kind of a, a long journey because in 2015 I became brand guardian of DC's Uglish and it's a mill that you know I am still very very close to today I absolutely adore it and what happened from there is that I I had started archiving myself take samples or you know I'd buy pieces or but that was my introduction because the tartan library inside DC Dalgleish is unbelievable and this is single with loom done by pedal it's proper artisan stuff right so I think we maybe need to do a sort of a, a, a tartan 101 okay for those of us who know nothing about it I will break it down what do you want to know so obviously I am Scottish and I know that we have family tartans, but I think there's sort of two things we could discuss. Is, is, is that sort of family lineage and how that works? But I think first of all is, it's like, what is it? Tartan is the interweaving of fabric. It can be wool, it can be silk, it can be cashmere, it can be any material that you want it to be. But the process is the weaving of the material on a warp and a weft. And they're woven together to give you that grid-like pattern that you see. So, what we classically think of tartan is this romanticized idea hijacked by Sir Walter Scott actually 
and actually we're coming up to the centenary of of when the birth of of how we view tartan you know as as weddings and dress tartan and the you know then moving into um victoria and albert and the balmoral and all that kind of stuff it all started there but obviously we have a relationship with it going way back to jacobean jacobean era at the rebellion in 1745 but it goes back further than that still obviously and what has happened over time is that we associate it with names and clans and when you start to look into your own name you'll find that there are about 17,000 variations of a certain name and that's because anybody can weave and then name it whatever they want and actually one of the lovely things about um, Scottish tartan that I when I was researching because I'm midway doing a book on it was that people would gift this as a wedding present so as a man and a woman came together you know 200 years ago or whatever they would be creating a new family and so those tartans would be merged together or new tartans would be created and so that's why you've got so many different variations on the names and so many different types you know like bruce for example sake you, you could find any kind of tartan that you wanted that looked like that it has a variation in its set size and colors and if it's traditional or modern um but you could go and make your own brand new bruce tartan if you wanted to that didn't have to follow those formats and that's the one thing about tartan that keeps it fresh so there's variations on names of tartans and that's why you can find so many differences in one person's name but also on top of that the really cool thing is that you could go ahead and just design your own bruce tartan and then that would be added to a whole pile of things and i, I started digitalizing um dc dalglish's archive at the tail end of last year and i was completely blown away by the different variations of what we had in inside the library and that's come from people wanting to bespoke design and that's the really really great thing about tartan it's it, it's an ever-changing omnipresent living and breathing fabric that continues to have interest because we feel associated to it regardless of where we are in the world because we're bonded by names there there's a there's something really exciting, isn't there, about creating your own? And there's some incredible people that have worked with DC Dalglish. Yeah, we've, we've been really, really lucky. And most mills, have, you know, have got a, a cracking who's who gallery um, from their archive. But, you know, like we, when I was doing the digitalization, one of the things that I really like to see was other Scottish brands that we've produced fabric for. So like, like Chivas Regal their whiskey brand, Johnny Walker, Bells, you know, Karun Jin. So we've produced for them. And that's that that ties in again to me and, Scot and Scottish Water. And actually then when I went down to the H's, Highland Spring was in there. And it was just, it, that was really nice that seeing that um, ecosystem, I suppose, of Scottish brands that are really internationally well-known using the mills to create their own identities within Tartan. But then also really, really cool things. So when I first started um, with the mill, I fell in love with 
a piece of fabric that we call the shepherd's plate. And for anybody that doesn't know, it's basically a giant piece of material that actually we were at a time, and still do, weaving off the single with loom because it means that they're, they're, the edges were salvaged. So they're, you know, they're completely unique to that. Really, really long piece of material, classically in Czech. So that, you know, that's the two, two, two tones of color. Um, and this dates back, this piece of material dates back centuries because actually in the name gives it away, shepherds would wear long pieces of material that had to be really, really hardy because they were out in all sorts of weather. And in lambing season, they would pick up the lambs and wrap them up and bring them down the hill. And so that's where its name comes from. But I had this idea in 2015, um, kind of similar to the Cambridge Satchel Company. Um, for anybody that doesn't remember this, like a 10 years ago or so, they made those old school um, school bags and they did them in like cool neon colors and vibe, like really vibrant colors that you didn't really associate with a, an old school satchel. So I thought, what about trying that? So we did. And um, because now actually the, the sort of wedding market and the traditional market of hijacked, hijacked a shepherd's plate and, and so men wear it in traditional garb around a kilt and a, and a jacket. But it's the most glorious scarf to wear they're just they're absolutely beautiful and so we set about and uh, we made a, a giant test blanket that was one of the first things that I, I did when we were at the mill and it it was one of the first processes in design that I'd ever gone through um, and a test blanket is basically when you get to throw all the colors at one piece of um, material and you can go for it as long as you want until you stop so I did every single color that I could imagine running that the test blanket was the most beautiful thing and people wanted to buy the test blanket and we were like ah. and so from there we started to dissect things that we thought worked so there was like bubblegum pink and orange or we called it satsuma um and there was a really gorgeous navy and black which was really really classic and that caught the eye of Celine. and so in 2015 and um, we did a bit of work with them, which was, you know, it was so exciting. It was my my first time working like that with a, with a giant, huge name, you know. Um, and if anybody remembers, that's the year that these giant, like really long scarves. I'm not, so I'm not talking about a scarf in its classic sense or a stole, because yes, they can be really, really long. A shepherd's please is a very, very different thing. And it's like, it's a big wrapped salt of material that just gets like a big Scottish cuddle that's what it is it's a big Scottish cuddle Jill it is and that's you know I am experienced in, in the wearing of the big scarves yes. because I, I went to St Andrews so I am acquainted with the pashmina that's why that's lasted hasn't it you know you can wear a really nice smart jacket but have this massive yeah. big blanket scarf on and the thing that I loved about the shepherd's plate project um was that you could use it as uh interiors and you could use it as apparel. And so I kind of felt like you were getting your your good pound per wear out of it. Yeah, that, that, was, that was something that was really important to me, that it was this dual piece that could be worn regardless of your gender and could be in the home or on your back. And so I'm really, really proud of that. And also, it kind of opened me up 
as opposed to my next again project, which was my own cashmere jumper. So that was the start of the process of that for me. I think what's really interesting as well, just sort of going back to that tartan resurgence and when, when you know, after the, the 45 rebellion and tartan was banned, we've actually, you know, Sir Walter Scott really romanticised yes. Scotland and tartan, but the big champions of it weren't even Scots. It was Victoria and Albert, you know, they, yeah. they weren't Scots. They, they bought Balmoral, they really championed, they had their own Balmoral tartan. But that was because of George IV. So... What happened there was Sir Walter Scott was wooing George the Fourth, and actually in so what is it? We're twenty twenty, aren't we? Um, so in twenty twenty two, it's the two hundredth um, anniversary of George the Fourth coming to Edinburgh, and that is the pinpoint where we see modern tartan is born and the romanticisation of tartan is born, and that is why Victoria and Albert took it to new heights because George IV had started that before them and then they they ran off with it and and yeah and, it, and Balmodeled it. And then so from there you have champions of what is such a Scottish identifier who are not actually Scots. And that happens to this day, you know, you've you were telling me, you know, about all the the non-Scots and the, who have worked with DC Dalglish. You yeah, know. no, absolutely. I mean, we we've um, produced fabric for uh, uh, get this. This is very very cool. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, so actual have, spacemen. Actual spacemen. Um, we have woven for Pixar, for Brave. Oh, what's and, that like? It's it's exactly as you would think. So, um, I obviously have three children. I've the, so. I'm very well versed on how Brave looks, but it is a kind of maroon and then a turquoise that goes mm. through it. It's it's really, really beautiful. So yeah, we've woven for Jimmy Kimmel. It's quite cool, right? Yeah. And so do they just take just decide that they want a tart? I mean, I yeah. can with Pixar, obviously, when you make something set on sky and you do an amazing job on that and you you know I thought what they did was lovely with with the soundtrack being all Scots musicians and why did Jimmy you know what is that is it is it is it just did he find out he was Scottish you know that, that what, what do you think is the the driver behind people wanting a tartan is it just because they can I th- anybody can you don't have to be Jimmy Kimmel right mm-hmm. you don't have to, anybody can come and do this and that is the pure joy of weaving and like I said there is Everybody has a connection to tartan, regardless of being Scottish. You know, people just love it because it's it's beautiful and it's woven, which means something extra. You know, there's an extra bit of artisan magic, you know, and I think that that resonates with people. And so that I think that that's why, for, for me, that's why brands come because there aren't that many things in life that are made by artisans. There are, you know, there's there's a small handful of industry left where you actually do that. And so that's something that people really quite like. And you know, we've woven for aeroplanes. Um, we did Charles Jeffries' um, collection a couple of years back, and Ashley Williams, and they right now are that kind of new movement in, on London Fashion Week scene. And, you know, Charles Jeffrey is a Vogue darling and he's a brilliant designer, but he's Scottish too. And so, yeah, the, going into the archive and, and creating 
um, has has been a special process for me because it really opens your eye to how wide you can go with this. I mean, currently I'm sitting, I think I've, I've got just under 10,000 different unique swatches from all of the mills, not just DC Douglas, you know, like I've gone from Langham to, to Glasgow, up to Elgin, to Selkirk, to Butte, you know, all the way up to Harris. So yeah, my, my collection doesn't just focus on what, I, what we have at DC Dalgleish. I've, I've gone out and I've, I've got different things, but for me, it needs to be Scottish. You know, it needs to be Scottish. I have the largest personal archive of Scottish woven tartan. And and is there a rule? Is it like champagne? Is it like Melton Mowbray pork pies? Is no, it like cheddar cheese? We're not protected. And so anybody can weave tartan and call it tartan. And and um, actually there, there were people within the industry that, that were trying to get it protected. But, you know, Brexit has happened or happened and currently going through that process. And so trying to get everybody to agree and then us leaving the EU and, you know, it's just, it's it's not an easy thing to do because you can outsource the fabric. But I'm of the thinking that if you want to call it tartan, it should be protected because you could you can weave played anywhere, tartan anywhere. You can weave a crisscross pattern anywhere. But it's exactly like you're saying. If you're saying that black pudding is from Stornoway, it's a very different thing, isn't it, from black pudding made anywhere else. doesn't mean that the black pudding made anywhere else is not delicious. Of course it is. Same thing with champagne and Prosecco. Like, I adore Prosecco. It's probably one of my favourite things. But it's a very different thing to champagne. And even other French fizzy wines it's a very different thing again when it's when it's not made in the region of champagne so yeah for me i i wish that we could have it protected but we just haven't got ourselves together i remember i'm just now remembering that massive outcry when they redid the the scottish army battalions and it became public that the the kilts that they were making were not made in scotland i don't remember that do you not no, no there was a huge outcry i think it was I want to say 2006, 2007, I think we were working at the radio station together and and they just rejigged um, all the regiments. And so um, from so it became one Scots, two Scots, three Scots, and they'd amalgamated all all the traditional, you know, the Black Watch mm-hmm. and all these people, very famous Tartan, obviously. And then it became very public that the British Army had sourced the kilts that these new battalions were going to wear. Internationally. Um, yeah, I think they were made in India. There's an argument on both sides. If you're the Scottish Army, you should probably be wearing a Scottish kilt. <laughs> I'm kind of with you there. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's a very emotive thing, isn't it? And it's, so this is our national dress. And the beauty, the beautiful thing about it being our national dress is that it is adopted and adored by so many people around the world. And Scottish diaspora is huge. But that takes place in not just people's wardrobes but in brands wardrobes and you know you can go from designers we've created um pieces for vivian westwood and the evolution of of watching what vivian westwood has done with tartan you know it's remarkable starting off you know in the 70s with punk and tartan is synonymous with punk you know when you think about those two things they are woven together so carefully yet when you evolve into her archive and how she's moved forward in her design world 
it's, it got very regal and very royal. And so it went from punk, essentially the exact same thing. This, you know, the 1745 rebellion then became the segue to Albert and Victoria. And it's almost like Vivian Westwood has done that in her own career, starting off in punk and then ending up using it in designs that look regal and royal. You know, you get those gorgeous big ball gowns that she she does and creates in tartan and they're just spectacular but they're for balls you know they're for proper yeah proper regal events as opposed to how it all started you know it, it was it was the publicity of the rebellion i suppose in 1745 it was how you identified a jacobite absolutely knew, and that was a rebellion against the king yeah you know and, and an argument about who should be king and then, as you quite rightly say, there's this absolute irony that it's now used 100 or 200 years later to decorate a, the Queen's house. Yeah. You know, it, it's become how these things, you know, it's, it's, it's like any form of censorship or any form of um, outrage that eventually becomes the norm. It's, it's how we evolve our attitudes. Totally. And that's the thing that I've always found fascinating in Tartan. And like we said, you can weave it in any material. It can be lamb's wool all the way up to cashmere and silk right you can you can do with with it what you want in whatever material and the thing that really struck out when i was researching was how it has managed to sneak in the back door of several trends you know obviously we're talking about punk but there is this there's a gothic element to it too and mary shelley's frankenstein is steeped in that old Edinburgh that, you know, of Jekyll and Hyde fame. But she, I don't know whether or not I've told you this, I probably haven't yet because the research is still pretty new. She was very, very well known for being one of the first ladies um, in London to wear tartan as a dress. And so there's literature about what she is wearing because she loved standing out in the crowd, so she would opt to have her dresses woven in tartan. I had no idea, it made me love her even more. Yeah, I had no idea about her her time here yes. at all. And they say now that a lot of the Frankenstein ideas came, she spent a lot of time just outside Dundee, yep. and it was seeing the whaling boats come in, the whale carcasses coming off the boats that really made her think about monsters and bringing things back from the dead. And, and I only found that out about a year ago, I had no idea. Yep. Yeah, so so there's that, and then you go to preppy, and then preppy splits in two because you can go Sloan Ranger, you know, and think about Princess Diana, or you can go Ralph Lauren and hit that Americana market. And the fork in the road there, although preppy still covers this, the meaning of the word, you know, exactly how it sounds, that's two very different styles, one American, one British. And... But both eponymous with those... With tartan. And with those nationalities. Yes. Like you say, Sloan Ranger, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I absolutely think of Diana. And you talk about Ralph Lauren, and I think of... College and... Yeah, and lettered uh, sweaters and plaid skirts. Yeah, and, 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 and high knee socks. And American aristocracy, you know. Yeah, basically, and, money. Yeah, yeah. But but that's exactly, that, that's exactly it. And then it can be transported all the way to military you know so you've gone from getting married in this stuff to going to war in this stuff 
And that's very poetic to me. You know, I love that, that love and war sit side by side, but that tartan wraps itself around both of those things. Well, it was the ultimate sustainable wardrobe, wasn't it? (laughs) You know, like that's, that's where it came from. It's what you wore all the time because it kept you warm you could identify who was on your side in a battle, mm. but you could also look quite dapper in it when you got married. You know, it, it's it, it was that your capsule collection yeah. of, you know, prior to 1745. Well, the difficult thing about tartan for me is that once I cracked open this world, I realised that it was going to be much bigger than anticipated, you know. So... This would need another seven episodes all on its own to discuss dyeing and the weaving process and thread and how, you know, how that's all, that all started. I was looking into red dye 200 years ago meant that you were wealthy. So, and, and this is the very interesting thing, regardless of whether or not you could actually afford it, you tried to get red tartan. Isn't that really interesting? So even... Even if you could, it, it still applies today, doesn't it? That that you aspire to to buy that luxury piece. You know, you aspire to get the thing that you need to save up for, and well, that's exactly what was happening with the tartan. It's the, it's the argument about why fake tan is so huge. You know, the, the rise of fake tan, what ten, fifteen years ago, maybe more was this idea that you look like you could holiday all year round, that you'd just come back from Sandro Pay. I've like, never heard this you know, argument. That, that was, that, because I'm a peely-wally person. But that was the view was the sort of rise of fake tan and being brown all year round was that you were wealthy enough that you holidayed three or four times a year and you just hopped off your plane from... And that was the sort of the idea behind why being tanned became so synonymous with beauty. I have never had, I am, my mentor is um, Sandra who owns Fake Bake. I've never had this conversation Mm. with her before. I will have to phone her now. That was, that was the view. That's, and that's why Sandra Pay, I imagine is called Sandra Pay. Well, there you go. There you go. In the next episode, we will be taking a little ferry trip across the water to one of my favourite mills, which is Butte Fabrics.